You got a problem, you don't know what to do Your dreams are strange, and you're seeing things too The world is full of mystery Life's more than you can see You can ask pomegranate You can ask pomegranate She's a priestess Hi psychics Welcome to the podcast. This is Pomegranate Doyle, and this is Ask Pomegranate, and I'm here with my amazing producer, Kayleen Beaujolais. Go, Kayleen! Life is good when you have a professional on your side. Um, And I'd like to thank my webmaster, John Newell, too, for maintaining the website. Uh, Today, I'm going to have an interview with uh, Larry Savades. He is a shaman, a witch, a priest, a healer a teacher. Uh, He is a good friend of mine. I've known him for years and done a lot of work with him. And he has developed a lot of really interesting ideas in the magical realms. Uh, And we're going to talk a lot about his practice as a healer, shamanism, trance, queer spirit, queer magic. We're going to do a very interesting uh, discussion about the nature of magic itself and can you define it and if you do, how. Really interesting conversation that I think you will probably need to listen to several times because he is so interesting. I know I'm going to have to listen to it several times. All right. Thanks for joining us. And here we go with Larry Savades. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. I'm here with Larry Savades, and I'm with uh, inside his place where you work here, right? Is this your room? I do. This is where I see clients. This space is amazing. It's decorated in the most spectacular way with beautiful icons and there you know you do have the typical crystal array that you would expect a witch and a shaman to have in their office and a drum but in addition there's like beautiful wood furniture and amazing textures and art and buddhas and marys and icons and a stuffed puppy it is a stuffed puppy (laughs) things from all over the world the space feels very vibrant and ready to go how do you like working in here I love working in here. There's something about using the same space over and over again and setting it up properly where the space does a whole bunch of the work for us and carries us along. And what do you do in here? I see clients for spiritual counseling and magical coaching, and that can include any topic. It can include more traditional mundane topics. It can also include that sort of yearning desire that most people have in the bottom of their heart to be more open and connect more more deeply and powerfully to the world as a whole or to spirit as a whole. So you're, you're helping people open to spirit, open to their authentic self. And get some of the tangles out. You know, we're, we're all at our deepest part, fully connected to everything we need to be connected to. And we have been conditioned to not use that properly. So I'm undoing conditioning most of the time. It's like a kind of an op- way to open doors to potential or... Mm-hmm. It seems like. Yeah. Yes. Potent- potential um, poten- potential of relationships. I talk about magic being all about relationships. And so as a, in, in general practice, I, I both work in Wiccan style and shamanic style and a little bit of smatterings from other cultures because I don't find them separate. 
I could go off on a tear about the history of Wicca and why they're not separate, but that's for another time. Maybe. Ooh, I don't know. That's kind of, <laughs> I'd be interested in that. Well, there's, there's not, Wicca as we know it today has a very short documentable history. There were witches in England. We don't know much about what they do. We know a little about their symbolism. And the, the calling of the directions, the sacred circle, this process looks an awful lot like what comes out of Native American culture, and it looks an awful lot like what comes out of East Indian culture. And my belief is the Brits took both those things and made a new religion. Oh. Using, now you could argue whether it's a new religion because honoring and worshiping the earth is the oldest religion, but giving it a new, a new container, a new form. Now, when you say Wicca, are you differentiating from the craft then? From witchcraft? If I were going to be precise, Wicca is a, very, is a narrow slice of witchcraft. Okay. Um, I don't have a good definition for witchcraft. Maybe you do. I mean, I think my definition for witchcraft changes with whatever environment I happen to be in at the moment. I mean, mm -hmm. I certainly think it's about relationships. I certainly think that it's about um, an ability to perceive reality in a deeper, more profound way. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm really hearing that. I'm All right. Curious. So we're going to have to stop from Depot last night. So my definition of the craft, um, I mean, you know, Dion Fortune, she says it's the w ability to change your consciousness at will, mm -hmm. right? She also calls that magic in general, but mm -hmm. yeah, the craft is also a cultural phenomenon. So who are the people who do it? What is their goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's, in both shamanism and the craft, it's a it's a complex cultural construct involving deep reverence for and desire for connection to nature, not in an amorphous whole, mm -hmm. or at least not just in an amorphous whole, mm -hmm. but also in all of its individual parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, my experience of it is it, it's hard to describe, mm -hmm. but it, it is about this idea that, um, and I think this is this is probably an accurate history of the craft too, is this relationship to, as you say, it's about relationship, but it's about relationship to mystery, mm -hmm. and it's about it's an ability to interpret mystery, to be able to experience it and then interpret it, and then realizing that you are an active being inside of mystery, that you actually affect the world. Mm -hmm. um, and you affect the world and you become an agent of change or manifestation and because you're active and because you can ac access mystery. And so for me, um, the craft is noticing mystery and then noticing how you have an effect on mystery and then taking that action setting your intention and taking the action, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a that's not a nice, concise way to say it. You can't make a poster out of that. But I think it's such a complex idea that um, you needed to have something longer to describe it. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think that's a great way to say it. I had never thought of it quite that way, that ability. But it, it resonates with me um, because it is that willingness to be connected to mystery. And yet in the craft, we don't... Like in some Eastern traditions, we're supposed to drop all con all expectations, drop all assumptions, drop all intense connections, mm -hmm. and then experience mystery from a passive, pure place. And craft is saying, know that you're part of mystery and use that. Use that to make change in the world. Make change in your own life. Make change in the people around you. Make change as big as you want to try and make change. 
Right. I mean, it's like that scientific idea that um, you can't observe something without impacting it through that observation. Mm-hmm. And so if you're already, if you can acknowledge that your existence, very existence, even though you might, you might be trying to be removed from it, is an impactful thing. You know, uh, monks meditating, the meditation of a monk will impact the environment that he's in or she's in. Mm-hmm. So it's that acknowledgement that you have an impact. Um with your experience of the craft, I mean, how did you, when did you find it? How did you know? When, when did it, yeah. how did it happen for you? It, it was incremental. Okay. It was, it was incremental and I started with a strong interest in magic and science in parallel mm-hmm. since essentially forever since I was four or five. And then the first sort of psychic phenomenon that drew me was channeling Edgar Casey, those things. When I was 10, I started learning about telepathy and psychokinesis. And by the time I was 14, I had my first personal mystical experience where I was just overwhelmed by the intensity of sensation, how beautiful the world was and how right it felt. And that, that unbelievable sense that everything is right and having that, that preconception of, of scientific observation, I said, what's this feeling about? What's this coming from? What's, what's actually it representing? And what I, the closest I could get was that every single thing was an exactly perfect representation of its internal energetic pattern. And that the energetic pattern, theoretically, could be altered from within. And that was heading me down the world towards witchcraft. I didn't know it yet. I stayed more new agey for another six or seven years. Whoa, wait a minute. My mind just got blown. Hang on a second. So wait, can you say that again? Everything is... So I would look at anything. I could pick anything in my environment. I would look at it. I would feel bliss from looking at it. And I'm like, and I'm following the bliss. What is this telling me? (laughs) And what it guided me towards was it's vibrating with a pattern. And the physical object we see is an exact, perfect representation of its internal pattern. And Mm. so that perfection was not that the pile of garbage, because I could look at a pile of garbage and say, yep, it's ugly, and it gives me bliss to see it. Mm -hmm. It It is an exactly perfect representation of its internal energetic pattern or its internal vibration. Wow. So that, um, that acknowledgement that that things are essentially made out of energy yeah as as a, as a young child and that that internal patterning is an causes an expression and then you experience that expression and that's what led you to go what was your next question after that i guess well i tried for a long time to to influence that with my mind and never found never found any leverage never found a place to to make that happen um, so would you throw thoughts at it or you I would, would I would and I think I was trying to, and, and maybe that's the reason it didn't work I was thinking really hard uh-huh yeah thinking and, really hard is not the same as being psychic actually it's kind of the polar opposite and and the, there as far as I can tell there's no leverage in thinking no I mean movies get this wrong they're always showing the psychics thinking really hard and you know putting their fingers to their temples and trying mm-hmm. to beam in a thought to things and it like actually that actually actively blocks psychic information which mm-hmm. is really interesting to me but anyway back to you so you tried to think it think at it and yeah that didn't work. And, and i continued to have lots of crazy synchronistic experiences and psychic experiences but jumping ahead it was probably 14 or 15 years later so i was in my upper 20s 
when I began working in witchcraft more seriously, put up an altar, and had somehow tripped over the concept that, oh, the center of this energetic entry into the world in myself is the hara. And if I, and if I sensed into my own gut, mm. that's where my energy is coming from and radiating outward. And if I imagine the thing I'm looking at in that place, I feel what it's like. And then I change the sensation. I change the event. Ah, you found one of the seats of power and it's not your brain. And it doesn't and it does require sensing. Sensation can only occur in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Remembering sensation or imagining the future is not sensation. Ah. That's thinking. But if we are feeling the sensation we're in the present moment and then use our imagination, I use my imagination to change that sensation to imagine what else it could be like. And then I would imagine giving it back out to the world. Wow, that's that's uh, one of the most profound magical acts that I can think of. It took me a really long time to figure out that power to change the internal experience of something, and then that al- that allows the my external experience to happen. I mean, it's sort of like creating a hologram. It is right. It you is. Know? It's. It's reprogramming the universe. The universe is, you know, what you're saying is the universe is like a, what, well, how would you state that? The universe is then, I would say a hologram that, that on some level I'm manifesting, but I'm not alone in that. Absolutely. The, the universe is life trying to know itself and we're part of that life knowing itself. And so we get a vote. We get in, in some sphere, we get some influence. We don't get ultimate complete influence as far as I know. There may be people who have who have more of that complete avatar experience of their world being completely their creation. Mm-hmm. I have a sense I have an experience of influencing my world strongly along with other people who I some of whom I know and some of whom I don't. Mm, that's interesting. Actually it's in making me think about this question that comes up a lot when people want to talk about the pain of life mm-hmm. um, and it comes up a lot in spiritual conversations, why did this bad thing happen to me? And I think people are looking for, well, what do you think? What do you think that people understandably take that completely personally? If I look at it as life is trying to know itself, it can be that this experience needed to be processed by someone. Um, there was a, Oh, an amazing woman who I saw only briefly, Patricia's son, used to give a lot of lectures, and she lived in California. She came to the Midwest, and she would talk about, we are each individually made of the earth. We are literally the earth up and walking around, and we're each one approximately one square yard of the earth, for the sake of argument. Whoa. And that the earth has so much history that there's lots of shadow. We each, just by being physical, inherit one square yard of the earth's shadow, and in our lifetime, we're processing that. And what we do with it defines what the earth is going to do next. That makes me think about our our direct relationship with the ancestors, because if I'm, I mean, you know, I've never thought of that before, but if I'm one square yard of the earth, well, the earth is made up of the ancestors, every ancestor that's ever lived. It's like not just the human ancestors whose bones have gone into the earth, but mm-hmm. every plant, every animal, every you know, protozoa, every, you know, different kind of being has died and gone into that one square yard of earth. Yeah. And here I am. 
Absolutely. Carrying that literally in my physical body. That's kind of mind blowing Mm -hmm. why it's important to have a relationship to the ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the same thing with thoughts. When we talk about trauma, we're all traumatized by our own thoughts and we take our thoughts so personally and so seriously and our judgments so personally and so seriously. And it helps. It was, it was, life-changing for me to realize a judgment is just a thought that I believe. Because like many people, I had a lot of negative self-judgment and it, and it was very prickly and trying on me. And when I said, oh, it's a thought, a thought is innately neither true nor false, it just is. It's, it not, doesn't necessarily describe exact reality. It gave me a certain freedom. And now the East Indian concept, which has been something I've learned more about in the last few years, is that our thoughts are not even our thoughts. Our thoughts are part of the what they call the thought sphere. And we align ourselves with some parts of the thought sphere, and those are the thoughts we're more likely to get. But they're all it's the same thoughts circulating around, which is why all across the world the same invention might get invented within a few a few months or years. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes the same discovery is made almost at the same moment mm-hmm. in different places. And then the reason one does blessings and healings for the ancestors is their thoughts are echoing through us. So their unresolved issues with displacement, trauma, whatever their lives left undone are still echoing through us. And that's, that's one of the ways we have traumatic thinking. And if we can heal some of that work, then our own, our own minds become clearer and safer places to be. It's interesting because what we're talking about is uh, the magical power of our brains, the magical power of thoughts versus the magical power of our, I mean, you were said hora, or you could mm-hmm. say hora could be also your gut or your energy mm-hmm. field. And those two things, not to define it too clearly, but we can, I think, understand this a little more, this idea that our thoughts can't penetrate a structure and change it with our with a thought, but... We can change our, our thoughts do create the way we move through the world is what mm-hmm. you're saying. Yes. Yes. We, a thought can change the world if we embody it. If we, if we let it, if we choose to let it, mm-hmm. to embrace it, to, to activate us and our energy and our energetic posture and our physical actions, then yeah, the thought through us changes the world. We pick and choose and they aren't us. Also, often those thoughts are programmed in and we're unconscious of them, right? And that's when that, then that's when all those collective unconscious thoughts come, become a mass field. Mm -hmm. Um, That's young, right? Is it young? Young Youngian idea? Collective unconscious? I think it is. I'm not sure. I don't know. Do we care? We don't care. No, I had this crazy thought when I was young that, that the truth will reveal itself. It's better not to study it too closely <laughs> in other people's thoughts and ideas. And, and so I never really remember who said this thing long ago. I, I'm not sure. Does it seem true in the moment? Let me check. That, that's what I go with. Right. So um, you have a practice where you work with people individually. You also do teaching and you lead people through trance. And I was curious about the power of trance um, Mm -hmm. in your life Mm -hmm. and why you think it's so effective and why you use it so much. Um, You're a brilliant trance leader. Your voice is amazing. I've been in your trances. Your voices are amazing. I got to go to 
the void with you. You took me <laughs> to the void one time, and I I never wanted to come back. <laughs> I would have I would have thought the void would have been not a great place. Sort of like I was raised Catholic, so I always would have thought of it more as the you know purgatory, the waiting, the endless waiting room, waiting to get into heaven. But actually, the void is a particularly sublime place. I experienced it as because you took me there. Now, what do you, how do you, what's your, what do you, what can you even tell us what trance is? Why does it work? Why do you use it? Mm. And what does it do? I mean, if anything you want to yeah. say about it. Well, I'm first going to talk about the void just a little bit because I the, love, I love the concept of the void, the void and I love the trance with the void. And there is, the void is when all things dissolve, all preconceptions dissolve, all matter dissolves, and then you let space dissolve, and then you let the concept of emptiness dissolve. And what you've got left is the ground of being, that somebody is there to perceive it. And that is uh, a wonderful, powerful place to work from. It's pretty cool. One of the ways to think about trance is, there's so many ways to think about trance, but one of the ways is that the different energetic worlds have existed in separation in most of modern history and trance, by taking ourselves to different states of consciousness, we stitch the energetic worlds back together and make them more perceptible. We change the interaction between the worlds as well as within ourselves. In personal work, a trance, letting the thinking mind, which is always trying to corral all experience, the sheepdog, let the sheepdog calm down, <laughs> lay down, and let the sheep find out where they need to graze and let them get nourished. So it allows an integration of, of the things that are going on in the mind that we're trying to control and a dispersion of things that need to move on. It sometimes allows things that we are pushing out of our consciousness to arise in consciousness. Unconsciousness is essential. I, can't, I don't have enough attention to pay attention to my heartbeat moment to moment all the time. We have to be unconscious of some things. But there, if there are large parts of our experience we push out of our ability to perceive, our ability to remember. It's like always stubbing your toe on the thing you can't see. So if we can even remember briefly that it's there, I think soul retrieval has a lot to do with that. This concept that shamanic folks have of soul retrieval. We go back to the experience. We let the experience back into our consciousness. We take the part of ourself that has, was expending energy, holding that experience away, come back to us. We regain that energy. And then the experience can complete itself and move on. So soul retrieval is sort of this idea that um, you can be fractured uh, when living on the as a human, living mm -hmm. as a human being on the planet. That you can have an experience that can actually fracture you. Mm -hmm. um, how how does that work? I don't perceive myself in a classic multiple personality way, but I do perceive us as beings who multiply process. And when we talk about the unconscious, that's the part of ourself that's processing something that isn't in our current awareness. Mm -hmm. And if too much of us becomes unconscious, if too much of us is holding a lot of energy, processing things that aren't in our current awareness, we get depleted and we, get, we can get sick. We can, we can have... Um, these same issues will try and express themselves over and over again. So we'll have inexplicable bad luck, inexplicable difficulty in relationships that are repetitive. And if we can let the experience complete itself, let all of our 
let all of our energy, which we've sent away from us, come back to our current experience, we can be strong enough to deal with it. Do you see that on a planetary level too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the most obvious example right now is, is what is it? It's 40% of the American people who firmly say they do not believe in global climate change. That is a willful choice to send away an experience they aren't strong enough in the moment to deal with. And there's consequences. There's huge consequences. And then, then we are blocked in changing behavior and the situation continues to get worse. So you, earlier you said that, you know, when bad things happen, it's an, it's an, what did you say? You said it's a... I said it, it's life trying to experience itself, I think, something like and that. And so when life, when, so when that comes up, when a thing happens, you know, I mean, you know, we didn't do this to ourselves. We, our ancestors did this to us. And right. they didn't know what they didn't do it on purpose. They weren't some of them were certainly infected with greed and horribleness, but they were just like, Hey man, look at oil. Look, we, I made a an engine. Look, I did mm -hmm. this thing. Now we've got mm -hmm. global warming or global weirding as uh, it's been come to know now. Um, and, and people are, everybody's starting to go, Oh, right. Yeah, this is actually happening. Um, but the trauma that happens to people what am I trying to say? It's like, you, I just want to hook it up with what you said before, like bad things happen and it gets us, it wants us to learn. It wants us to grow. It wants us to have mm -hmm. an experience. Mm -hmm. And when we fracture, we're like trying to say, no, I won't have this experience. Absolutely. I'm going to find a way to keep this experience from actually influencing me. Oh, so again, but it will, they still influence us. But when they're influencing us in unconscious ways, it tends to be a little ugly. Right. And unpleasant. And we all do that. We all do that all the time. It's just, maybe there's a tipping point where 15% is fine. If you get up past 40% of your energy is, is holding experience away from you, it's going to be really difficult to maintain. And the self begins to panic at a deep level. So what's the magical, pra yeah, and life goes very wrong. Because mm -hmm. as you said, you meant you start bringing stuff into your life that... You know, you're, 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 the energy in your life starts going, stop and heal. Stop and mm -hmm. heal, right? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And often it seems like it's enough to deeply observe it. And one of the phrases I'll use is, is a prayer. Please let me experience this completely. People are terrified of that prayer because they think it's going to get super intense and be super hard and extremely painful. And my experience is once I say, please let me experience it completely, my resistance drops away and my resistance is what made it painful to begin with. Yes. It's interesting how the resistance to the experience is actually the painful part. And once you surrender, it just gets so much easier. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's a ma What is, so that's a, that's a, I was going to say, what's a magical act that can help you as an individual or us as collectively as people who are need to take responsibility for the, what's going on with the poisoning of the earth. Um, what's a magical act? You say one thing is, let me have this experience thoroughly. Let me really admit mm -hmm. to myself that this painful thing or scary thing or warm thing in the case of global weirding is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Is there, so once I've done that, once I, and it, or how can I do that? How can I even get there? How can I get to that place of surrender? The, this, the background belief about why this works for me is I believe we're all wired correctly to begin with that the universe is a safe place to begin with, that given a chance, our lives, our, our bodies, our lives, our minds will seek balance to begin with. 
So there's this poly, almost Pollyannic optimism mm-hmm. embedded in this, and yet that my experience is that works in daily life. I I watch what I do physically. I don't go in, you know. I don't assume I can jump off a cliff and and, and not fall. But there still is this optimism, this drive in the world that is helping us process. And sometimes we need to get out of our own way. Um, so you're talking about what you're talking about is this idea that there's a conspiracy of wellness in the universe that the underlying what a great phrase, right? That's a great be, phrase. What? That was good. A conspiracy of wellness mm-hmm. that sort of operating underneath things that mm-hmm. is the, sort of the structure you talked about earlier that you could perceive. Why is the pile of garbage perfect? Because there is a conspiracy of wellness that always wants to raise all of us into our best selves mm-hmm. and learn, help us learn and grow. And that, that's sort of the foundation of your work, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I believed that we did this work only by our own will and strength, I would be despairing. You'd also be tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what do you tap into when you're, work, when you're doing magic? What's the big support system, mysterious support system that you rely on? Oh, boy. There's so, there's so many aspects to it. But this... I can see this um, conspiracy of wellness. I can call this the divine, or I can call it mystery, mm-hmm. or I can see it as the animate world. I'm an animist. I believe all things are alive, aware, and responsive. The glass I drink the water from has its own its own consciousness, its own relationship. The water has its own consciousness, its own series of relationships. By treating things respectfully and intending that that relationship be perceived and responded to, I generate a different experience of the world for myself. So their intention is a large part of the work. That's one of the things some witches talk about. We can take the same action with intention or without intention, and it will have completely different consequences. Mm-hmm. So mystery can be perceived at every level. Mm-hmm. Divinity can be perceived at every level. Um, sometimes... I work with deity, sometimes I work with guides, sometimes I work with ancestors, sometimes I just work with that central place in myself through which divine energy emerges into existence. Sometimes you work with magical beings. Absolutely. One of the people that you, one of the clan of magical beings that you work with a lot is the the jinn. They taught me a lot about that gate energy that, that I talked about with, with the experience of the hora, radiating energy of manifestation out into the world. And it's a slightly crazy story, but delightfully, delightfully true in my experience where I had been having a lot of ancestor work that was very mysterious and very magical and very intense and about being able to do mysterious things and, and leave existence as we know it in return. And they talked about the fox paths where you can go and not be seen as you're traveling and then come back. Not super unusual shamanic work. But then an uncle of mine had said that name that you're interpreting this way, which was uh, the old family name, Tsinaglu, actually means son of the jinn, a glue in um, Greek is it Greek or is it Turkish? There's argument in the family about what this name actually comes from and means. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he said it means jinn, as in the genies, as in Arabian Nights. And so I began listening in that direction. That's part of the energetic posture I talk about. I listen in a direction. I lean in that direction. 
I can lean in the direction of listening to weather. I can lean in the direction of, of feeling time differently. And those are hard things to give people a concrete example of, but tr just try it. Try to lean energetically in the direction of something and it will give you information back. So I leaned in the direction of these beings and they gave me information about another way to exist in the world, another way to exist as an energy being that is almost um, incomprehensible to a physical being. They are not, they interact with the physical, but their way of being physical is not solid. It's almost like if a electromagnetic plasma wanted to, was conscious and, and then could enter and leave physical reality at will. They're very different. They're very different than working with people that other folks refer to as fairy. They're very different than working with shamanic animal allies. They're very different than deity. They're very different. What's the connection to the jinn and this idea that they'll give you three wishes? Like, have you had any experience with that wish fulfillment aspect of them? What's the truth behind that? The truth is that the, the method they use or the energy they use can amplify manifestation. It can, there's this whole issue of changing relationship at will. Well, changing relationship at will can change reality at will. My, my reality is a, is a summation of the relationships I'm currently manifesting. And if I change that energy, I'm changing at least how I perceive my reality, but actually there will also be physical concrete changes as well. There'll be changes in my body, there'll be changes in my luck, there'll be changes in events. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that makes me think about um, magic and politics when mm -hmm. we mix those together. Um, because I really love political action, think it's amazing, feel very political myself. But when I learned about that I could apply magic to political action, mm -hmm. that's when I went, ah, now this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, rather than go get arrested. It seems like such an obvious connection. Such, it feels so right. And there's a book I read a while ago called The North Star Road. And this author has a premise that witchcraft, the European witch craze, was a syncretic religion, syncretic meaning combined from multiple origins of old European shamanism, hence the flying and the dancing in a circle around the fire, and a political action fighting the centralized power of the Catholic Church in 13th century Alps, possibly 12th century, mm. and that it was a real political movement. So it wasn't just craziness that sent the Catholic Church off the rails against witches. It was that it was an actual political movement mm. that was attempting to undermine their power. Oh. That is not fully accepted, but I, it rings a bell for me. It feels true for me. And there are other corollaries that, um, like, I don't know tons about the um, descendants of the Maya, but I know that in Guatemala and in parts of southern Mexico, there's this syncretic religion where the old Mayan religion is combined with Christianity. And those regions have been able to resist centralized governmental authority more than any others, mm. and hence have maintained more of their culture, more of their language, more of their autonomy. Wow. Um, well, let's take a break. And I'm, when we come back, let's talk a bit about politics, magic and queer spirit. Great. This episode of Ask Pomegranate is brought to you by Larry Cervantes. He provides shamanic counseling 
and is available for one-on-one sessions. Here's Larry to tell you about his work. What I do is I call spiritual counseling and magical coaching. And by counseling, when we, even in a conversation that's casual, talk about what's going on, it moves it to a different part of your brain and you will process it differently. That happens in every conversation, but when done with intention and in a sacred space and skillfully listened to, it does it even more so. The magical coaching is that I can give you advice and options about actions you can take, practices you can try, and help you do them that can make the shift go deeper. The other thing I include in many sessions, if it is appropriate for the person, is a 15 to 20 minute trance journey, which helps again integrate any change and intention more deeply. If you're interested in scheduling a session with Larry, please email him at l.savedes at gmail.com. That's l.savides at gmail.com. You can ask pomegranate. You can ask pomegranate. So one way that I've encountered you and your work, most importantly, and sort of one of the largest impact you've had on me, well, I mean, it's hard to say how much impact you've had on me because it's vast, but one thing is really this work that um, you were doing in the 80s and 90s around queer spirit and the idea of queer spirit. Mm -hmm. And you're a gay man, but beyond that, you also embrace queer spirit which is an idea that is beyond who you have sex with, right? Absolutely. It, it does talk about the mystery. This is another place the mystery enters the world. And it almost is, a, is as if simply by not being the norm, and now more and more I think we realize nobody is the norm, but some people really try to be, by embracing not being the norm, we become catalytic change in the world. We begin, in a very concrete way, giving people examples of alternatives. But even beyond that, we begin affecting the thought sphere, the public unconscious, the mass unconscious. We begin having this energy that is changing the options that are available. Hmm. So what's interesting to me about that is the idea that perhaps the queer spirit is saying that there, that the norm shouldn't exist, Mm -hmm. that, that, that expectation that there is a place where we fit in Mm -hmm. and that we have to, you know, work our way into that mold shouldn't even exist. That idea itself is actually quite poisonous. That maybe everyone should be following a different drummer. Yeah. What if queer was... Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first was talking to some of the people who were early founders of Queer Spirit. They were complaining at that point, which was around 1991, 92. These straight people are using the term queer, and I want them to do the same work, but I don't want them to use the same term. And interestingly, within five or six years, those folks had all changed their minds, are happy with anybody who will break out of the norms and even even just do the work of attempting to be your authentic self. It's always a series of successive approximations. Essentially, there is no self, and yet the self that is not, there is no self, and yet the self is amazing and flamboyant. <laughs> and so it's, it's part of that mystery, this paradox. Paradox is one of the signs we're in mystery. 
that there's power there, Mm -hmm. when the thinking mind can't reconcile two things that are both true. And so we Mm -hmm. know from moments of enlightenment that the self that we identify so strongly with is not primary, is not unassailable, does not exist forever, it, it is not actually the truth, and yet selfness exists, the observer exists, the actor exists, this, this energy moving into the world through us exists. So I'll go back to that that I talked about before about the my experience of the hora, which is our personal energy, our personal perhaps divine energy, manifestation energy, moving through us from some mystery beyond. I first even thought to look there when reading in a keto book and they talked about grounding not to the earth, but grounding to our own center. And so I began looking for that, looking for that as a possibility, and that opened it up for me. Grounding to center has become one of the practices of queer magic that you've developed, is this idea that you can ground to center and that you can send energy. You know, in traditional craft, when people get together, they do a thing where they... um, do a thing called a Kona power. And that Kona power is just like, imagine a funnel turned upside down and all of the energy is going up to a point above and you send your intention off on that Kona power mm-hmm. in an exuberant way. I'm not explaining this to you, Larry, I'm explaining it to some of the, the <laughs> listeners. I know, you know, by the way, I just thought about this the other, the other minute ago. So your name is Lawrence, son of the Jinn. Well, it gets complicated because the family... <laughs> My branch of the family rejected that name. Oh. Savidas means son of Sava, and Sava was a particular man's name who was going to become a Greek Orthodox priest and rejected the Orthodox community and became an evangelical Christian. So they, that branch of the family named themselves after him, but all of the family that went from Turkey to Greece kept the name Sinaglu. Ah, okay. Which that that name means son of the jinn. And so that's only three generations away. My my grandfather's father okay. would have used that name. All right, back to my back to my description. So one of the practices that you, that you you and I developed this together mm-hmm. is this idea that the cone of power in queer spirit actually doesn't cone at all, that it's a direct relationship where, which is a very effective relationship so that when you send the intention out energetically, you send it directly from your center out directly to the world. Yeah, that last workshop really was great, wasn't it? It was we, so good. We that was the first time I remember doing a workshop where we actually coached people through raising all the energy and then sending it horizontally through the human world. And that was, if I remember right, for universal gay marriage at the federal level. Gee, look at that. Well, every time we've done this workshop, which I think, Larry, you're going to do again sometime. This is 2015. Is that the year? Yeah. Um, you're going to do April the, 2016 is when I'm hoping to do it next. You're going to do this workshop again, uh, which is great. And anybody um, contact Larry if you're interested in coming because your minds will be blown. Um you begin with, um, and I think you did this in the late eighties, early nineties, you begin with this analysis of gender, which now is like more, much more common. Uh, this idea that gender is not binary, but to work with queer spirit, the first thing you have to address is gender, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to say a little more about gender? You know, I'm not an expert on the academic theory of gender. What I know is that it's possible to not be limited by the preconceptions of our gender. And that can be true in image, it can be true in thought, in belief, in action. I was just having an exchange today on um, which 
may prove to be socially troubling. We'll see. But people were talking about mansplaining. And I said, as a meme, it was as offensive as woman driver. And, and so these are, these are stereotypes that we begin to project on people. Mm-hmm. And yep, lots of men can mansplain. I've also been mansplained to by women. Mm. Lots of, anyway, we don't need to go down completely down that road. <laughs> but in myself, from an early age, I noticed I did not, I had no interest in mimicking the men in my life or mimicking the women in my life. Instead, I found the things that felt right for me to do. And so I did some knitting and I did some cooking and I learned a whole lot about gardening and I became a hiker and a scientist. And so I didn't say, oh, that's the model of someone ahead of me who will, whose footsteps I will follow. It's good to have what I call an energetic hero, someone who carries the energy that we want to bring into the world. And then we learn our variation on that. But typically culture tells us this is your role model. It's your dad. It's your mom. They're showing you what you're allowed to do. Right. And it's going to be really good for you to learn to do that well. So, honey, you know, learn to make really flaky biscuits. <laughs> and that's the thing that you began to dismantle with this queer magic work where the letting go of um, binary gender, letting go of these, you know, gender roles is being really specifically related to. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that, one thing that, is true that we still get to be female and male if we want to be. We don't mm-hmm. all have to be uh, third gendered, mm-hmm. but we can be third gendered. Or as one thing that you've brought up is this idea of um, magical gender, which I think is also fascinating. Can you say a little more about that idea? Well, magical gender is definitely not binary. It's definitely a full rainbow spectrum. <laughs> um, and it's kind of carte blanche, you know, pick from column A and column B, however many things you want. So, so I, there, there's several places where the magic of queerness becomes especially powerful. And one is the delight in doing what one chooses to do and finding the authenticity. And another is the risk of possibly losing our inborn status as the gender we are by rocking the boat. And so the overt outer world status of men is still higher. There's still in general more risk for men. And and we see lots in, in giving up their, their gender, um, their gender stereotype. And you see, at least, I'm a little outdated. I haven't been in school in a long time. I know some young people. I think it's gotten a little better. But when I was young, the risk of not conforming to gender norms for a, a boy was super high. Um, and it's still, in some areas, is super high. Mm-hmm. Physical risk. Actual physical risk of abuse. Yeah. Um, and yet, the culture has become more transparent. This idea has become very widespread. And the power we gain by seeing a risk and doing something anyway, that's not just about queerness. Or maybe that, maybe that act of seeing a risk and doing it anyway is always queer, no matter what the topic is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a sharp line around what's queer and what's not. And I think that line may eventually dissolve completely. Um, mm-hmm. That, in a, in a Starhawk in the book, I think it was in the book Dreaming the Dark, had said, you must risk your significance. 
Mm. And that's something that is extremely powerful to do. I'm going to go to the edge of what I know, and I'm going to take another step beyond that. I'm going to go to the edge of what I know is safe, and I'm going to go one step beyond that. Maybe we have to pause at the edge of what we know is safe and not step right away. Mm -hmm. But at least look across that line and see what's on the other side and send some of our energy ahead. You have a, a tool that you invented, the Queer Pentacle, which I think is a really good way to um, define queer spirit um, because that Queer Pentacle really speaks to what the specifics of being queer spirited is. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has to be queer spirited, mm -hmm. but many people are. Yeah. And um, can you talk about uh, the five points of that pentacle? I can. And I, it's a... It's a fun pentacle. It starts, so if you're starting at the top, it starts with grace. So if you're a pentacle, listeners, I, if you imagine you are a pentacle, and the, because, you know why? Because you are, okay? Yeah, we talked about this before in the podcast. Um, so your head, you, when he says start at your top, you're talk, he's talking about the head holds an energy. Grace. Do you want me to talk about each one yeah. before I go to the next one? Yeah, will you? So grace, the, the, the core concept of grace is that before we make choices, before we have experience, we already are. So the grace is the gift. We've been gifted with who we are. That's that conspiracy of wellness. The conspiracy of wellness. Grace. Absolutely. That all things all things are well. Is, is it Hildegard of Bingen? I think all manner of things are well. Everything is in grace. Mm -hmm. And you are grace. And so you... In, if to be queer, you be in grace. And I, I wrote the pentacle circularly, not drawing the star first. So I'm going to follow it that way first. So you're moving from your head to your left hand. Mm -hmm. And that is the point of desire. And so we notice in the world as we experience things, we desire. We desire the taste sweet. We desire the taste sour. We desire warmth or cold. And then where it becomes queer is... Oh, I desire men. Mm -hmm. How queer is that? Or I don't desire men. I mean, it can get much queerer mm -hmm. than desiring men at this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and you desire men even though you're not supposed to. I mean, you were born in 1960. I was born in 61. One? Yeah. Yeah. We were not supposed to desire the opposite sex yeah. in 61. <laughs> and really, there's still a price to pay. The mm -hmm. price, I think, has gotten incrementally lower and mm -hmm. lower as time has gone on. But there is still that risk by desiring what you're not supposed to desire. Right. And I mean, in some ways, somebody who desires to be a different religion mm -hmm. runs a social risk. Somebody, there's many kinds of, of desire leading us um, to that edge of danger. Mm -hmm. But also, by following the desire, we find our fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And we, boy, Pom, you and I, the two dyslexics trying to do the pentacle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm just like in this moment going, and there's a shadow pentacle. Oh, my God. Because the the you're talking, when we say desire, we mean um, pure, goddess-given, out of grace. What arises spontaneously. In harmony with universe, harming none. Not conditioned craving. But in, not in conditioned craving, not addiction, not overlays, not acting out, but actually a true-hearted, authentic desire, which is yeah. a really specific thing. Yeah. Yeah, despite the cultural memes. And so the next, going down to your left foot, is action. And it's that moment of, I, I see it as the spark between two neurons 
where there, there is calm and suddenly there's a spark and the system begins to act. So going from desire mm -hmm. to the left foot is self-awareness. And so the idea is I witness that I desire and what I desire is information about who I am, who I come into the world as. That reflection, the desire gives us a mirror. And then and so that, that not erasing, not erasing self, not um, having it imposed from the outside. It's an awareness that emerges. This is this. In the, I have to say, in the '80s when you were developing this, um, it was really a weird idea. <laughs> it wasn't as like predominant as it is now. It was a little more unusual, and it was. I remember we were doing this for what they called fag camp, the camp that never happened. Yeah, which was going to be taught mostly by women. Which it was, was when you could say that word and you wouldn't be uh, being a big old whatever, because yeah, you can't I'm, say that word anymore. Right? I miss saying fag. Young gay yeah. men are so offended by the word. Fag. I know. It was one of the words I reclaimed for we, myself. Yeah, we reclaimed it. I mean, it was a great word. I certainly can't say it. And I've been told anecdotally that the word actually refers to the queer priests who carried the bundles of beech twigs, faggot, bundle of twigs meant to be burned, to light the sacred fire. So, you know, I choose to believe that. It yeah. is aesthetically pleasing for me to believe that. Yeah. I embrace the word. The faggot, is a, it does mean burning branch. That's yeah. what it means. It's an English word. Yeah. Um, so, that's you know, I grew up with my family calling cigarettes fags. Yeah, yeah. And then when it turned into a slur, uh, that was hard. And then when we reclaimed it, that was powerful. And now we can't because, well, maybe you can, but <laughs> because it's gone back to being a slur. In a, yeah. In some situations I could, but it's so hard to know when that would be that it's not worth the right. risk. It's, yeah. You know, with a yeah. shock value. It's like the, the word bitch, you know? Bitch is, bitch is a, a word that I can use, but I'm mm -hmm. sure it would be considered anti-feminist, although if I explain it to them, it's like, look, bitch is a sacred. The bitch is sacred. The bitch is, the female dog is sacred. Look at Rome. The sacred mm -hmm. dog gives birth to the, mm -hmm. to the founders of Rome. The sons of Rome that creates Rome. Yeah. Rome, Rome, Rome. Anyway, whatever. So, um, whatever. We don't need to go all into that. Let's go back to. <laughs> so there's no. Should we go to the fourth pentacle? Okay. Well, so we're so we're at self awareness. We've gone yes. grace, desire, self awareness, which is this idea mm -hmm. that you your sense of who you are mm -hmm. emerges from inside of you. In other words, you're gay, you're bisexual, you're straight because you know yourself to be. You are not told that, or you, it doesn't. It's not because you've slept with a man and, right. and you're a man, or it's because I inside myself at eleven I went, oh my god, I'm bisexual. Yes. Which I think maybe it was more like I was eight and it was involved Barbies and a striptease. Anybody? Anybody? Anyway, <laughs> going on. That yeah. was my one of my first self-awareness moments. <laughs> and so that would have been 1970. Um, okay. So we go from self-awareness to... And so the, the way this is, pentacle is written, I'm realizing, says a lot about how contemplative my, my uh, tendency is. So... Mm -hmm. Oh, let's witness this desire. Let's reflect upon it and know that it is something. And now from that place, let's send the spark of action. So it's initiation. The beginning, that moment when we move from inaction to action. That moment when the spark jumps the nerve synapse and we're in motion. So in other words, log cabin Republicans who are closeted are not queer because they're not willing to take the action for their people. Right? They're not willing to take the action of queerness. They're certainly not magically queer. 
They're magically very straight. They're straight and they are might be gay. We don't say they're yeah. not gay because they, they be get socially to... queer. There's lots of ways in which they can be queer, but in terms, let's speak as a witch. Pentacles mm-hmm. are for witches. Okay. So yep, use. So I'm I'm sorry to to cut cut hairs with you on the definition. I love this cutting. I but, love the hair splitting. It's but beautiful. In that way. They, they will not be effective. If they be, choose to become magically effective, they can no longer be log cabin Republicans. I'm right. sorry. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. And so that that spark, which is a little like, in a way, it's a return to grace, but it's a grace with knowledge because we don't only with will drive this mo- motion. We are gifted the ability to move, to choose, and to then, then act. The other thing about initiation is when you uh, take the action of initiation, you step through a gate, you are no longer who you were before you took that mm. action. So it's like the action of coming out of the closet um, can be it's probably one of the most profound initiations you can take in queer yes. spirit. Yes. But there's other ones you can also take. Um and, but that there is a before and after energy to initiation. And if we look at the history of magical initiations into traditions, one of the things that happens is that the initiate gets tuned to the energy that they're being initiated into. Mm-hmm. And so we, are, we, be, we tune ourselves to queerness. They get tuned and they also get empowered. So mm-hmm. they also were also claiming the power of queerness. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the one another way to just say the power of queerness is being fabulous, right? It's mm-hmm. like being tuned to being fabulous inside yourself mm-hmm. and having that power to move through the world. Yeah. Um in fabulous in fabulousness. Fabulosity. In fabulosity. <laughs> All right. So yeah. we are moving through the body points. So we've just left the right foot is that right correct so head is grace left hand is desire left foot is self-awareness and right foot is initiation and we come to the final point which is beauty without that you ain't queer honey and i i remember you uh, helped me condense that to one word because i was so adamant it had to be two words yeah or a paragraph or a paragraph preferably a paragraph (laughs) which was ethics and aesthetics oh yes and so the idea was how do we navigate so we've gone through this journey we've we've awakened our queerness and now we navigate in the world. We make choices in the world. And we don't make choices only by following our desire. We also make, make choices by finding what is good and what is beautiful. So ethics, what is good, what feels right, correct to do. Mm-hmm. Aesthetics, what is pleasing and harmonious to the senses, which do compress to beauty quite beautifully. All right, that is. Let's just talk about. I mean, I still get blown away by that uh, that pentacle. I still get changed when you talk about it. Um, your invention of it is so profound in my life. To to have that experience of you know, because it's not just being odd or being different. Because you know, all kinds of people are odd and different mm-hmm. and don't fit into the norm. It's not about that. It's something much more profound. It's these five ideas in harmony together. Mm-hmm. is very profound and to live inside of those five ideas like this ethics and aesthetics so it's got to be beautiful and it's got to be right mm-hmm. and if it ain't you can do all the other ones you can be self-aware and you can start things and you can have desire and you can i don't think you can live in grace because grace harmonizes everything but you can do those mm-hmm. things and if you don't do them if it's not based in beauty then it's not real it's not it's not queer we're, we're going to screw up if it's not, if it's, 
if we don't navigate properly, the first four are very much about self. Mm-hmm. And then to the fifth one, we jump, we jump to how am I going to affect the world? How can I navigate how I choose to affect the world? And it has to pass that ethics and aesthetics test. And then we come back to grace, the next round of grace. So let's run that, that energy through our body now. Well, let's just do it one more time around just so everybody can right. follow along. So as a circle, which is a circle is very grounding, mm-hmm. but a little more passive than the star. So we're starting at the head, head, grace, left hand, desire, left foot, self-awareness, right foot, initiation, right hand, beauty, head, grace. So you always want to finish drawing the circle by going back to where you started. And so just sit with that for a moment if you followed along and experienced that. This is you invoking that pentacle into the pentacle that you are. And maybe you want to do that in this moment as a test run. Are you inviting queerness in? Grace, desire, self-knowledge, initiation, beauty, grace. What's the flavor? Queer spirit. Now let's run that star, Larry. Will you bring us through that? Sure. And so grace at the head, drawn down to the right foot, initiation. So we go straight from, I've been given the gift of who I am, to the first thing I do is I move in the world. I take action. I get born and I cry. And then that moves from the right foot to the left hand. And the left hand is desire. By taking actions in the world, I experience things. As experience things, I find I have preferences. I have desires. And then that moves across the chest to the right hand. And my desires lead me to beauty. And then the beauty entrances me. And that entranced state goes across the body down to the left foot to self-knowledge. I've learned things about myself. Self-knowledge, returning to grace. So this is the very active way to do the pentacle. Initiation, grace, initiation, desire, desire beauty, beauty, self-knowledge, self-knowledge grace. grace. And then let's just do the circle one more time. Grace, desire, desire self-knowledge, self-knowledge initiation, initiation, beauty, beauty grace. grace. And just take a moment to breathe. And if you've been following this with your own body, just allow that to sit with you. And when we come back, let's talk about what practicing that has done in your world and in the history of the world in your lifetime. Larry. So you practice this um, and you and I did this together. Uh, Mm. We I knew you and I had done some work with you, but then we got in, I got invited by this fabulous man to go teach at faggot camp, which I never could understand (laughs) except for, I kind of understand more when I address my magical gender more and also past lives. Um, And that didn't happen. But what did happen was queer camp happened out of that. We were both invited to go teach at that. A couple of years later, it finally came into the physical world as queer camp run by our beautiful friend sage good and we didn't know each other very well we'd met once it was the second time we met we met each other when we taught at snow camp and i didn't know if we would end up being friends i'd hoped we would because you lived in wisconsin and i lived in oregon and who yes. knew yes so we went and you brought that pentacle and and we tweaked it and tuned it for that event and developed a number of 
wonderful exercises. And bonded for life. And bonded that, for life. And that was in 80, was that in 91? That was in 99. 99. September of 99. Is that long ago? Yeah. Why do I feel like I've known you for 40, 40 years? That's that's the 6,000 years, Virginia, <laughs> that we've known each other for, or maybe it's the Minoan life overlapping. Maybe it's that, let's not talk. Yeah. Well, let's not go there. No. Okay, so... <laughs> No, but the, the queer camp was not just because the queer pentacle was powerful. That's when we learned the power of the magic of the, the figure eight rhythm, the infinity rhythm of going back between the wild and the hearth. Oh, yeah. And back to the wild, letting each be informed by the other. The hearth and the wild. And that was a big part of queer magic. Mm-hmm. So we did this camp and we did a lot of magic and we did a spell, which was basically what we what our intention was. And and this was, this thing, this event was very weird because... There wasn't, it wasn't gay men alone together or, or, um, lesbian women. We used to say the word lesbian. I know you're still out there lesbians, but it was exclusively the word lesbian for women who slept with women in those days. We all, and bisexuals, which is what I, the category mm-hmm. I fell into, we were all together and we didn't differentiate. And that was weird. That was, mm-hmm. okay, everybody, listen, that was weird. And also anybody who was third gendered was also welcome. And people began really identifying as third gendered in the in, during that experience. Um, we were all together and there wasn't a delineating line or there wasn't a fight, which at every other yeah. event I'd been to where that happened, there was always a fight. Um. It was very harmonious. It was filled with grace, actually, right? Yeah, it was filled with grace. And I remember the big stress. Everybody picks a stress before every major magical event. And the stress that people picked for this one was to worry if they were queer enough. <laughs> That's and, right. and I remember I did being worry. so shocked because it's hard enough to come out of the broom closet and accept that you're a witch. And then you're going to go to queer camp, but you're afraid you're going to be um, looked down at because you're not queer enough. I mean, how... how how sad, how un- unnecessary. Well, I think we had no definition for queer, right. and that was what was bothering me. And also, I, um, you know, the whole gender issue hadn't been dispelled for me so that I could understand mm. that I was a beautiful snowflake of gender. Yes. And that one part of me is actually, you know, a gay man. You would be a fabulous gay man. You I, are a fabulous gay man, pomegranate. <laughs> I'm sure Kevin appreciates that. <laughs> um, although my genitalia doesn't back that up, it's still mm-hmm. magically true about me. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, so we did this, and the spell working was really about getting getting rights mm-hmm. for the gay community, for the queer community. Um, yes. And we put that in our intention and did a week, five days of magic mm-hmm. intensively in the woods. And when we did this in Canada which is where I'm from. And we came out and I think it was six months later. Well, first of all, we came out in the very first newspaper we saw, we'd, we'd also done work programming rights into the DNA, programming the expression into the DNA. And the, the newspaper on the front page had a big article about rights for transsexuals, that a legal challenge had given more rights to transsexuals, and that they had discovered a new enzyme that transcribed DNA. Wow. So that seemed pretty instantaneous. That was instantaneous, and that followed the idea of energy goes directly out in, in queer magic mm-hmm. um, laterally and expects things directly. And then within six months, I think that's when Canada's constitution, cha- constitutional challenge got um, 
uh, made about who gets to get married. And it turned out the Constitution supported uh, queer marriage, gay marriage. Which was tremendous. I think we were in British Columbia, and I think British Columbia as a province had done that first. Is that true? No. No, it's not true. Oh, okay. I thought they had. No, it was a yeah. constant. It was the Canadian Constitution. Canada didn't get a constitution until the late 70s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. But then um, it turned out upon close reading of the constitution that it didn't discriminate against gay people. Mm-hmm. And so that was brought, uh, several lawsuits were brought and it went through the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court went, yep. That's right. It's legal to get married in Canada if you're gay because it's in the Constitution. Not specifically, but it wasn't banned. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it was confirmed. I think I have this right. So then it it got, um, yeah, it was like, yeah, it's legal to be married if you're gay. Yeah. And at that time, so we're looking at 2000, the idea of legal marriage for gay people in the United States was completely unrealistic. It would never happen. Could never happen. Not in our maybe lifetime. Maybe a state or two, maybe California, maybe Hawaii, right. which actually didn't do it very fast. And then there was a long pause when we used those ideas in lots of magic, but we didn't do, well, other than California camp, we did do Queer Pentacle at California camp right away. Mm-hmm. So, but um, we ag- again revisited the Queer Pentacle as a dedicated workshop in Portland I'm not sure the exact year. It was about 2010. And it was whatever was one year before Washington, or maybe even three months before Washington State um, legalized gay marriage. Weirdly, out of nowhere, the Republicans changed their minds and said, yeah, we're going to actually say it's okay to get be married if you're... I think it was one of the, one particular woman who happened to know gay people and was like, I'm a Republican, but these people love each other. This is ridiculous. I remember um, at least one of the representatives who was a Republican woman talking at length on the floor about her daughter, who was a lesbian. Right. And that seemed to be the spark that got a lot of things moving. That was, I think that was three months or maybe it was a year, but I think it was three months after we did the workshop where we were powerfully calling for all multi-gender rights and sent that horizontally through the world. And Oregon was a little slower. Oregon was a few years later, Mm -hmm. um, but very close after. Mm -hmm. And both of of those states before the United States Constitution um, was re-read and reinterpreted to allow gay marriage throughout the country, yes. which was completely, even in 2010, was not foreseen, was not expected, thought it would be a battle of many years. And um, this this issue seems to be truly a catalytic, transformative issue. And that, was, that happened because two women, two American women went to Canada got married, mm-hmm. and then came back and said, we're legally married, pull it together, United States. And that's the case that went through. So it's all yes. threads back to that. So what this is about is an illustration of you can be politically active by doing magic. And mm-hmm. that was for us very clear that we were going to do a lot of magic around this this issue um, because we were sick of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And we just were like, it's time for this bigotry to stop and to end. And so we did consistently, we did magic. Every time we did it, we saw results really quickly. And that's a, that's what's interesting about queer spirited magic is it's a very direct and very fast. 
It, it does seem to be. And I don't have a theory about why. It ju I just notice you're right. It is. I think it's, it's that. It works very fast. Direct energy goes directly out. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's I don't know. I mean, I, I'm interested in magical technology. So when you send a cone up, what happens? When you send mm -hmm. a cone down, what happens? Well, when you if send we think a cone about the out? intention, when we send the cone up, one of the ways I interpret that is it goes to the goddess and she decides what to do with it. Exactly. In her time and according and, to her pattern. And we are, we are saying, one of the things we're saying is we don't know exactly how this needs to happen we have ideas about how it needs to happen you figure it out yeah what we what we did certainly in the last horizontal cone we sent out we were very specific and a lot of the time we spent was was coaching people on crafting their personal part of the intention yeah for what needed to happen next right yeah. and, uh, and so when we when you do it laterally you're like i think you're saying i'm in time i'm a i'm here i'm on the ground I'm in time, goddess. You're not, you know, you've got the big picture and that's great. And I certainly believe in turning almost everything over to her. But there are times when it's my job, when I am in time. When, and that's very queer to take that empowerment and to say, I'm in time. And what I'm saying to you is, I will not tolerate this anymore. And so I will have a world which is healing global warming. I yeah. will have a world where people are free to have the legal rights of marriage. I will have a world where, um, you know, basically we're not doing war or corporate. We're not going to give all our money to our elections over to corporations anymore. Mm -hmm. I will have this world. And when you're, when you get that feeling in your horror, not in your head, but in your horror, in your gut of, I will, I will not tolerate this anymore. That's when you can take the lateral energy approach, the queer approach to mm -hmm. sending magic, magic out. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something about queerness and queer magic, at least it exists in our generation. I, I've used the term catalyst a lot. A catalyst is not used as it reacts it continues to cause a chain reaction as it goes along. It's very quick. It's very energy efficient. It's transformative. Things move. A lot of magic is, is old, classic, let's nurture things. Mm -hmm. Let's have more fertility. Let's have more abundance. Mm -hmm. Queer magic is not anti-fertility or abundance, mm -hmm. but it is more about that thing you forgot. Here it is right now in this moment. Remember it. Mm -hmm. That thing you thought wasn't possible. Here it is right now in this moment. See it. And here we have, it's legal, it's a federal law that anybody can get married yeah. in the United States who are adults to anybody else who's an adult. And, and the new sort of growing edge is erasing most gender, bi gender um, designations that are even biological, right. legally. And seeing gender as fluid, seeing gender as optional, <laughs> seeing yeah. gender as, you know, multidimensional, allowing people to express themselves individually gen gender and mm -hmm. not having, why do we have to know what a child's gender is when we see them? It's a very strange thing. It it's like we're strange. saying, well, how am I supposed to treat this child? I need to know what the rules, I need to follow the rules here so I can teach them to follow the rules. And it's like, why? You know, you don't have yeah. to, there are no rules. Just let them be a kid. Um, that gender differentiation thing has actually kind of gotten more intense, I think, in a way. Oh, it's, I think it's totally about misogyny, and it's about cultures where men inherit and women don't. Right. And, and that, that conditions us about how we treat people, and we really want to know. Is, is this going to be a male child who brings his wife into our family and takes care of us? Or is it going to be a female child that when they marry will leave our household and no longer support us? And That's that, the kind of question that, that is the root of that need for distinction. 
There's a, yeah, there, there's like that, the desire to oppress and the, it, which comes out of that, wo- that wound that the earth is giving us an experience of, uh, mm-hmm. when I think about what you said earlier, that wound of greed, mm-hmm. the wound of greed, the feeling of like, I don't belong. I'm not connected. The earth won't feed me. I'm not actually a cor- one yard cubic yard of earth mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm not i don't belong um i'm wounded in my heart and i'm greedy and that greed is sort of un- the underlying wound i think that magic can heal uh-huh. through um you know small through through specific actions like working with the queer pentacle yes that will heal the greed around the need for there to be normality right in sexuality Right. Or normality and gender. Well, it's got to be based in a fear and and a sense of, of great um, risk. That there's great danger, so we need everything to be controlled at all times. And then the greed, you talk about the greed, and that's a reflection of such a deep spiritual emptiness mm-hmm. that the the hungry ghost that can't be filled. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because that differentiate that need to differentiate people. You're a woman. You're a man. You're you know there is no other gender. You're gay. That means you're bad. All of that is such a um, a tool for oppression. And I think even the word mansplain, although, yeah, you can use it. I mean, you're a woman, you get to use it if you're a woman. But it's contemptuous and it's mm-hmm. shaming of men. And we don't heal sexism by shaming people. What we can do is we can um, understand that we can, like, I don't even use the word patriarch anymore because it does the same thing. It's like, let's just talk about oppression. And mm-hmm. let's deal with that head on. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a part of the collective unconsciousness of the humans, yeah. this need to oppress, which comes out of that wound, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, one of the things about queerness is we have this cultural platform that has been set up for hundreds of years, primarily on a gender binary. And these queer people come along and they step onto a, any number of different platforms that either of the two they've been offered. <laughs> and the folks were, and so the culture that's designed for two platforms begins to either be delighted or freak out or both. But the yeah. offering, the generosity of offering a multitude of alternatives is part of what then happens. Well, and that's, that's an offer of freedom. Absolutely. And that's political. And, and if we, going back to what you were saying about um, oppression, if, if we simply don't support the binary system, then women's rights versus men's rights becomes a non-issue. Exactly. Becomes a total non-issue. The nature of being queer becomes a non-issue. And I know a lot of folks still really struggle and get resentful with separating biological gender from physical gender. I mean, from, from um, the concept of gender, biological sex, the genitals themselves mm-hmm. from cultural gender. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's what's happening. I mean, it is, it is happening. The boat has sailed. That's well on its way. And yep. I think there's going to be huge wonderful repercussions from that well wait till we start getting the magical gender idea out there and we and we start inviting people to actually acknowledge that they're mermaids and (laughs) unicorns and trees and Mm -hmm. whatever else are you a gin well as we've explored before we are each many many things in the magical worlds Mm -hmm. um and that that's a whole nother conversation which could begin to spin out quite large well perhaps we will carry that on next time Perhaps if you want to hear time. if you want to actually take a workshop with larry um 
he's going to be teaching one in 2016 and we'll be giving out his information right after this. Well, thank you, Larry Savades. Most excellent conversation. Uh, perhaps we'll carry on and do a second interview. Uh, wonderful, interesting, thrilling conversation. Thank you so much, Pomegranate. It's so much fun to talk to you. You're so smart. <laughs> so are you. Thanks. What a fascinating conversation. Well, you can access him and we'll let you know where. And uh, thanks for listening. This episode of Ask Pomegranate is brought to you by Larry Cervantes. He provides shamanic counseling and is available for one-on-one -on -one sessions. Here's Larry to tell you about his work. What I do is I call spiritual counseling and magical coaching. And by counseling, when we, even in a conversation that's casual, talk about what's going on, it moves it to a different part of your brain and you will process it differently. That happens in every conversation, but when done with intention and in a sacred space and skillfully listened to, it does it even more so. The magical coaching is that I can give you advice and options about actions you can take, practices you can try, and help you do them that can make the shift go deeper. The other thing I include in many sessions, if it is appropriate for the person, is a 15 to 20 minute trance journey, which helps again integrate any change and intention more deeply. If you're interested in scheduling a session with Larry, please email him at l.savedes at gmail.com. That's l.savides at gmail.com. Wow, how was that? That was amazing. My mind is blown in so many levels. I'm still trying to penetrate some of the things that Larry said, and I'm excited and interested and inspired. I hope you are too, and found uh, that as fascinating as I did and inspirational. You know, guys, if you heard that you can work directly with Larry, I'd I encourage you to take yourself up on it. Um, he's brilliant, and I'm happy that I get to be friends with him. I, I kind of made him move to Portland, Oregon a few years ago because I couldn't stand him living so far away. So him and his husband moved here now. Um, anyways, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we're going to have more with Larry soon. Mm -hmm.